Invest in your home. Dave Ramsey here for Low Country Contractors. Now's a great time to enhance your home with that new dream kitchen, bath, or addition. I trust Low Country Contractors. They've been voted Best Home Improvement and Remodeling Contractor by Mount Pleasant Magazine, voted Top Remodeler in South Carolina by Remodeling Magazine, and they have a 98% customer satisfaction rating from Guild Quality. Folks, this is a no-brainer. Visit LowCountryContractors.com. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi, this is Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and very much looking forward to speaking with the guest I have this week. As you'll probably know by now, my wife is due to give birth, so I've recorded some interviews and had them in the can. If I've not been too active on social media in the last couple of weeks, I apologize for that reason, but I've been looking after the baby as well. However, Contact in the Desert has given me a lot of opportunities to speak to some of the biggest names in ufology, and one of those I've been looking to speak to for quite some time now. Joining me on the line, I have author and researcher Grant Cameron. And Grant, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. And I can assure you the pleasure is all mine. Now, normally, uh, what I'd be looking to do with my guests is have quite a long form discussion and interview. And I'm cramming that many in over the next few weeks. I've got so much that I would have wanted to speak to you about. I've I've narrowed it down, though. So in the time that we have, we can get as much in for the listeners. What I'd like to ask you first, Grant, is what was it that first got you interested in UFOs? It was 1975. There was uh, a town, I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which is about 60 miles from the U.S. border. There was a small town about 35 miles southwest called Carmen. Uh, There was an object that was known as Charlie Red Star that was being seen there almost every night. Uh, It started in February of 1975 after the Americans put in the the only operational anti-ballistic missile unit in the United States, just south of the border, put in 100 new nuclear missiles, and suddenly we had these sightings on our side of the border. Um, I had no interest in UFOs, but I said to my friend, I said, let's go out and see what they're looking at. And we didn't go. And then a local TV crew got this thing captured on the ground. And uh, it went viral. NBC picked up this film as they caught this thing jumping off the ground. And then I said, come on, let's go, let's go. And I went out and uh, I, I was like, I always describe it as buying the lottery ticket. I bought the lottery ticket knowing there's a chance I could win, but knowing there's no way I'm going to, I'm going to see anything. We went out there, we're there for an hour, nothing happened. Um, and then my friend said, we'll drive into the town one more time. If we don't see anything, let's go home. I said, absolutely great. It's been a total waste of time. We turned the car to go back into the town for the last time. And the thing flew in front of the car. It was not a light in the sky. It was an object in close down low, over over top of the road, bobbing up and down, a red plasma object, and my life absolutely, I fell off the edge of the earth. I just could not believe what I had seen. It was like uh, being in the Bible and seeing some sort of um, miracle happen. Went out two nights later, the second night it came flying directly at us, very low to the ground again, made a left-hand turn, and sort of just flew off into the distance. And at that point, I said to myself, 
what is going on? What is this thing? I didn't know, and I but I figured somebody had to know. And that started this, uh, basically shut down my life. And I spent my whole life trying to figure out what was that object on that second night that was flying away, just slowly bobbing away, because it wasn't doing anything. It was just flying away, and it caught my attention. And I've spent the, my entire life trying to figure out what is this phenomena and what does it mean? Did you get any feeling at the time that the object was, if you want to say, otherworldly, or if it was potentially some sort of advanced human technology? Was there any gut feeling? Well, the second night, yeah, I, I remember as it was flying away, it made this turn, came right at us, and maybe maybe half a mile away from us, and made the turn. And as it was flying away, it had it was this red plasma. It started as a flashing light jumping around in the sky, and then it turned into this red sort of plasma object. And as it was flying away, there was this green sort of glow on the back side of it. And I remember at that point, I was looking at it and I said, "Wow, that could be that could be." extraterrestrial i could be from another planet i thought i was so honored that i was seeing this but then that question popped into my head which is the number one question i still have is what's going on here like what is this and what's it doing because it we i saw this thing numerous times and it never seemed to be doing anything and that's why i now i talk about when i talk about people with ufos why do ufos have lights on them? they have lights on them so you can see them they're trying to get your attention and they sure got mine in 1975 i'll tell you that before we talk about more of your story, now you said you witnessed this with a friend. How did this event affect their life? Is that someone that you kept in touch with? <laughs> I have, I have co coffee with the guy, now not with COVID, but I had coffee with the guy every week. And I remember we would be having coffee and somebody would sit down and they'd know I'm into UFOs. And they'd say, you know, you know, the questions and I would, they would talk, I would talk about Charlie Red Star or something like that. And then I'd say, yeah, Larry was there and he'd be sitting there and they'd go, you were there? You never said anything about that. And what did you see? And he said, and my friend would always say, I don't know, whatever, whatever Grant, yeah, we saw it. Whatever Grant said we saw, we saw it. Had no interest. The guy <laughs> in the back seat, I've never talked to him since the day it happened. I had a number of incidents that people were with me and they were floored when this thing, because I was like a tour guide. I was taking people out to see this thing. Most people didn't do anything. I was the one that fell off the edge of the earth. It affected me completely different than everybody else. A lot of people were very interested in it. They were trying to photograph it or whatever, but they just went on with their life. And that's where I got the idea that maybe this was intended, that I was intended to see this, and it affected me different than everybody else. And, and you've got a long history now in this subject. You are one of like, the foremost researchers. What was the initial steps you took at that point? You've had this incredible experience. You've saw this object now on, on two separate occasions. What is it? that you start to do the following days and weeks that really gets you involved in this, the topic and the subject? Okay, so the second night when I saw it, I went like, wow, why why is nobody studying this? I thought, this is the biggest story I've ever seen. I still say it's, it's the World Cup. It's the Super Bowl of all stories, if you understand what's going on. And I said, why is nobody investigating this? I said, I was thinking like, oh, I'll be a millionaire. I'll sell millions of copies. I mean, I'm going to be famous. And I started going into the town because half, over half the people in the town had seen this thing. And I started talking to people and I'd say, oh, I heard you saw something. They'd say, who said I saw something? I'd say, oh, so-and-so said you saw something. Yeah, it wasn't really anything. And then they'd describe a UFO sitting in the middle of the road or something. And then say, I wasn't the only one that saw it, you know. And then they'd give you like five names. Then you go to those five people and it'd be the same thing. Who said I saw something? And, and, it, and I had this huge list of people and I wrote a manuscript. And I tried to get it published in about 1977 and nobody could care less. The, the local publisher in Winnipeg, and I live in a big city, the local publisher said, Mr. Cameron, you may believe in this kind of stuff. Count me among the unbelievers. I could not believe it. I thought, wow, this is the biggest story of all time. Thing would be famous, and nobody cared. So I said, that's it. No more sightings. It's a total waste of time. You can tell people all your weird stories. Nobody cares. And I just went, and I said, I'm going to find out what's going on. Somebody's got to know what's going on here. 
That's when the synchronicity started. My father was a pilot for the Canadian government. A guy in his office who was a radar tech said, my father said, Ernie Epp wants to talk to you. He said he saw a UFO. He wants to talk to you. So I go to this Ernie Epp guy, this radar tech guy. And during that conversation, it's just a light in the sky thing he saw around Carmen or whatever. And then he said, you know, if you really want to know what's going on with UFOs, and this is the synchronicity part, you know, if you really want to know what's going on with UFOs, you should study what the Canadian government was studying in the early 1950s. I used to work on the program. And I said, you did? He said, oh, yeah, Wilbur Smith ran the program from 1950 to 1954. He had this flying saucer observatory, and I was working as a junior engineer changing tapes or whatever. He was totally crazy. He was talking to the aliens. They were landing in the backyard, and I go, what are you talking about? And that's when I chased the Canadian government. I went to Wilbur Smith was dead then. I went to talk to his wife, and I, she just floored me. She was talking about this alpha alien like he was the, the family pet, that the Canadians were opened a landing base for this thing to land, all these bizarre stories about these contacts and and people channeling this alien and psychics and, and automatic writing. And it was just the most bizarre story. And that led to the Americans because we were trying to figure out Wilbur Smith wrote the top secret memo, a famous memo where he said, I've talked to American officials. And this is a top secret memo that the Canadian government admits this is a real document. I was talking to American officials, not people on the street. And I was told flying saucers exist. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States. There's a small group headed by Dr. Vannevar Bush who are trying to figure out what's going on. The subject is of tremendous significance to the Americans, and he mentioned the fact that we they believe that mental phenomena is involved in the phenomena. So that's when we went to the States. Stanton Friedman and I and a bunch of people were trying to figure out who in the United States told Wilbur Smith what was going on. Who would said it was the most highly classified subject? And we found it was a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Saubacher. Stanton Friedman interviewed him. He said there was a, a recovery meeting at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in 1950, talking to a bunch of people. That led to Dr. Eric Walker. He squealed on Dr. Eric Walker, who was the former president of Penn State University, chairman of the board of the Institute for Defense Analysis, the top military think tank in the United States, 14, 14 honorary doctorate degrees. We then we went after Walker, and I had a team of researchers that were talking to him. I didn't talk to him to try to get Walker to explain to us what was going on. And he said, leave it alone. There's nothing you can do about it unless you have the mind of Einstein. You're up against the windmills. You're wasting your time. And he would basically confirm this was for real, but refuse to really talk about what he knew and accept the fact that it was very, very complex and you might as well just give up. You're never going to figure this thing out. And that led to the president, that Walker was going to give some of his files to the president. And that's when I went to the the Truman Library first, and I was there looking for Walker's files. And uh, at that point, I, I said, oh, the president's the most powerful guy in the world. He's got to know what's going on. So I asked the archivist, so what do, you, what do you got on UFOs? And they basically didn't have anything. So I went down the road to the Eisenhower Library, and they didn't have anything either. And I started this, something's wrong here. Like the president's got to know what's going on. And I was this pursuit to find out what the answer was. And it wasn't until February 26, 2012, in a lecture with Colin Andrews, in Phoenix, Arizona, where I'm sitting there, and this, I have this what's called a noetic download, a, a you know, a, a noetic experience, where all these things are put in my head instantaneously together, and said, "This is consciousness." The answer to that question: What is going on? It's all consciousness, and that changed everything for me. Now, if I'm following the timeline correctly, you mentioned that with the late '70s or early '80s, there was a mention this was a mental phenomenon. That was in a document from 1950. And the important thing to that, so Wilbur Smith says, we were also told by American officials that other things might be associated with the, with the flying saucers, such as mental phenomena. And the Americans aren't doing very well because they've said, if we're working on the problem, they're willing to exchange credentials and talk to us. Now, the key to that was that there was nobody talking to aliens. 
Nobody in 1950. The first alien uh, contacts were Williams, uh, Williamson and Adamski a couple of days after the detonation of the hydrogen bomb in 1952, the first test of the hydrogen bomb. That's when the aliens showed up on the, the in California. Before 1952, there was nobody talking to aliens. So the question was, how did the Americans know to tell the Canadians that mental phenomena was involved? Because everybody was just watching things fly around in the sky. Unless you had some alien that was captured and talking in your head or something, the Americans already knew in 1950 that a mental phenomena was involved with the UFO phenomena. And and other people wouldn't catch on to it until I didn't pick it up till 2012. Uh, and most people still won't believe that. They still don't believe that. And it, it is key. It is the key to how this thing works. Yes. I think especially in the last couple of years, for you it was 2012, was that, you know, mic drop moment. But the last couple of years, there's been so much more talk of consciousness playing a huge role, other dimensions, other realities. And it certainly has opened up a lot of people's thinking and my thinking as well. What do you think it's going to take to change the public perception of the phenomenon? Because the nuts and bolts aspect of the phenomenon is still stigmatized and ridiculed, even though there's been some progress made in, in the US media largely it's still got that stigma to it how do we change the conversation to even bring in consciousness in a serious subjective way okay well i think i think still the vast majority of the stuff is entertainment people even in the ufo community they're really not interested in figuring out what's going on they're just interested in entertaining stories uh max planck who was the father of quantum physics said basically this famous expression that things don't change by convincing people that basically uh, science and i would say ufology advance one funeral at a time that people die off and new people come in and it's not so threatening to them and stuff like that. All we can really do is put out what we've got. We can't really change. Uh, you're not going to convert anybody. You can see in political debates, the United, especially in the United States, uh, two people can hear the same thing and you know exactly how they're going to vote, exactly how what they're going to say. People are not changed by argument very much anymore. People are very set in their ways. So all you can do is put out what you what you have. And I don't think we're any different than any other social political movement. I put out stuff like to show the power of the consciousness thing. I have a podcast called Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast where I play video uh, audios of people because in 2013, after I had my download experience about consciousness, I was put in contact with a woman in Phoenix, Arizona, who told me she was flying the flying saucer. And I remember I was ready to throw her out of the house. I thought, this is like insane. They let you fly the flying saucer. Are you insane? Like, what are you trying to tell me here? And uh, basically, then I said, well, how do you fly the flying saucer? She said, oh, you do it with your mind. The craft is alive. You put your hand on a panel. You become one with the craft. And whatever you think is what the craft does. I went, wow. And I've now got 50 people who have said the same thing. Exactly. And I've got United Air Force, U.S. Air Force retired colonels who have told me that story. I have jumbo jet pilots from United Airlines who have told me that story. They all tell the same story. The craft is alive. It's all conscious. It knows what you're thinking. You become one of the craft by putting your hand on a panel or on a ball. And I started to play these videos. So that's what I do is I put these videos out where people, you hear enough of these stories of this person flying the craft, this person, and they're all telling the same story. And then you think, well, maybe there's something to this. Uh, but all we can do is, is put out what we've got. It's, it's like the Bible says, too much is given, much is expected. Uh, that if you if you're given something and you realize you're in the biggest story of all times, you just share the story, and when the time is right, the story will get out there. 
And we've seen the developments that have happened even in, even in ufology. I remember when we first started, it was 1975. It was a completely different world. People think it's what happened now. It is a completely different world in 1975. You you had one sighting, you were crazy. If you had two sightings, they'd lock you up. There's no way you had more than one sighting because it was considered to be a random event. And so over over this period of time, things have progressed to the point where the New York Times puts out a story in in December of 2017 and says, oh, yeah, the government had a UFO program. And what happened? I remember back, Barry used to say, Stephen Greer used to say, oh, the stock market will melt down. People will be jumping off bridges. The religions will collapse. What happened? Absolutely nothing. Because people were acclimatized. Everybody went, yeah, we knew that already. Okay, now where are the aliens from? And that's, so we move to the next step. And that's what's happening. It's a slow progress, just like every other social or political movement. It's not that one day we need to convince everybody this is for real. We are part of a process and we only can do what we can to move the story down the road. I really want to ask you a question just to follow up on something you talked about. And this is, I'm going to try not go way off topic here, but this is something I'm really interested in. You talk about the potential of these craft being controlled by the power of thought or your mind or you connect to it consciously, however you want to put it. How Have you ever heard of or thought about how would these beings even begin to make a craft? Like I, I think of, and this, this is just me spitballing here, but other factories on these other planets or places where they literally make these? Are these things born almost? Or have you got any thoughts on that? Well, that comes down to the question, are they even coming from other planets? If you take a look at some of the stuff that, that now is starting with the you know the whole idea about the simulated universe and Deepak Chopra saying everything is an action inside consciousness. So what you start looking at, especially when it comes to the portal thing, I'll give you an example. There's an Israeli uh, experiencer out of Israel who had green beings. They looked like grays, except they were green. 1980s in the United States, and they come to him, and the way they come in is they open up the wall. And they come, they come walking in, and they, um, they, 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 they interact with them. And then when they leave, they grab hands, and they sort of make a circle, and they start to rotate. The circle rotates, 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 and then suddenly they become translucent, and they um, turn into like a, a ball of light, which gets smaller, 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 and disappears. So the question is, is this a physical phenomenon? Are these aliens actually physical? Or are they etheric beings who are coming into the physical world, taking on a physical body? Because that's what Yossi Ronan, this experiencer, was told. When we come into your world, we take on a body, but we don't need it. And other experiencers have said the same thing. Sherry Wilde was a famous experiencer dealing with a, uh, an alien by the name of Da. When she put her book out, the publisher said, well, this doesn't make any sense. Da says he's from Andromeda, and he's actually like a Zeta. He's got to be from Zeta Reticuli. Go and ask him what the heck's going on. So she goes, she said, are you actually an alien? And he said, well, no, that would not best describe who I am. I am an etheric being on a on a, a mission in the universe and all this kind of stuff. And that's the whole idea. She said, well, why do you come as this, uh, this scary-looking gray thing? He said, well, it's a very functional body. I can use whatever I want to come in. The human body is harder to build. So they can build whatever they want. We have to realize, is this a physical universe or is everything, as I say, the bottom line, everything is made out of consciousness. And when you realize that, you can create a body, you can create a craft, you can create whatever, and then make it disappear. That we have the same abilities, but we think it's solid. We think we're in a physical world. Or as I say, we think that we are an act, we are the actor on the stage. We are not an actor on the stage. We are playing an actor on a stage. 
big difference. We are etheric beings pretending that we're human. They are etheric beings pretending that they are alien. So they can, they have the ability to produce whatever being they want, whatever craft they want, whatever they want, because they understand it's all made out of consciousness and they can control the consciousness. We think it's made out of nuts and bolts, which creates an epiphenomena and consciousness is secondary. Consciousness is primary. Bottom line, it's all made out of consciousness. When you understand that, that consciousness creates the physical universe, then you can start to understand what they're doing. They understand just a few things. It's not paranormal. It, they just understand how the universe actually works. It's made out of consciousness. That, for me, is probably a good time to mention your most recent book, Contact Modalities. Can you just tell the listeners a little bit about the book and what is um, Contact Modalities all about? Well, what happened with contact modalities was I had this um, experience in 2012. Until then, I was a nuts and bolts guy. I was the famous president guy. I remember one interviewer, famous interviewer said to me, Grant, I can't believe you've done this. I can't believe you, you, you've given up the president of the United States research to do this. And, and I said, well, uh, Jerry, I said, well, I, you know, I really didn't intend to do this. I got, kind of got teleported. So I had this experience, which was instantaneous. It was absolutely dramatic for two days in Phoenix, Arizona, after I had Colin Andrews that lecture where it came into my head this is cut to consciousness i could not think straight i was on i was just floored i i like i discovered something and so i was very interested in this idea like what happened so i started to do the research and when that woman came to me and told me she was flying the craft with her mind and then i started really looking and i started to discover that all sorts of people had had these download experiences Paul McCartney, famous, I think the first one I got, Paul McCartney, the song Yesterday, came in a dream in the middle of the night. He got up and he wrote this thing down and then he ran around to people with this song and said, hey, do you ever heard this song before? He thought somebody else had written it. It came to him and I started to realize other people were getting these downloads as well. They were getting these things, especially right brain people like musicians and, and creative people and stuff like that. And so I started to look around. I realized there was all these different ways that people were getting these downloads, that a lot of inventions, the laser came while a guy was sitting on a park bench. The hologram came while a guy was sitting on a park bench. Einstein got the theory of relativity in a dream. Niels Bohr got the idea of the quantum atom in a dream where he's on a horse track and they're explaining how the horses move around the track. I started to realize that all a lot of the stuff that we think people thought that real smart people figured this stuff out. I realized, no, it's not smart people. They got in the field. And they popped this stuff out in the field. So I worked on this and I wrote the book called, um, I got a message from an alien saying the messages in the music. And I wrote this whole book on music and where music comes from, the paranormal, all the, the people got dream music and instantaneous songs came in their head and stuff like that. And uh, so I was, I was working on that thing. And then I was asked to write an article for a, a, a book um, by the Free Foundation, the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Experiences that was started by Edgar Mitchell and, and, and Ray Hernandez on contact modalities because Ray Hernandez had had a contact modality two days after he saw a lecture that I was giving in Phoenix in, in Florida about consciousness. He had this download is experience where he's on the, uh, the Miami freeway and he suddenly gets teleported out of his body and he's in this matrix thing and they're showing him this wheel and the wheel is going around and these, whatever these beings are showing him this wheel and he sees quantum physics and remote viewing and uh, UFOs and all this kind of stuff. And in the middle is consciousness. And they said, you got to quit parsing this stuff. It's all the same thing. So he has this experience. And so he wanted me to write this article on contact modalities. I couldn't get the article done. So then I said, okay, I'll just write down all the contact modalities. Maybe that will help me get started on the article. And that's when I realized there was like 70 modalities. And everybody's saying like the, the experiencers who said to me, 
Don't put me in with the Chandlers. I'm not a Chandler. They're full of it, man. Those guys are making it up. I've got the real thing. And I realized that everybody was parsing it. Everybody was saying, you know, the, the people who are doing astrology are the best. Or the people are reading tea card, teacups or the people who are doing tarot card reading. And it's all the same thing. So it's like a musical thing. Some people can play music. And some people are professional musicians. So some people are better at it, but there is a modality. There's a way to get in the field. And what the conclusion to the whole book was, I went through all these modalities, looked at how do these people do it. And what it came down to, my conclusion was that it's a right brain, left brain thing. The right brain is the male separation, ego, creates a lot of noise in the signal. And when you can shut that left brain down through meditation, through hypnosis, through psychedelics, through whatever modality you do, you quiet the noise and you can pick up the signal. That's why a lot of people get inventions and stuff in dreams or sitting on park benches because the left brain quietens down. So you shut the left brain down and you can pop into the field. And that was what contact modality is all about. It's this modality that explains that everybody can get in the field and, and there's different methods to get in the field and um, that there's nothing paranormal about this. All the information is in the field. This idea that experiencers, 40% of all experiencers, and same with near-death experience people will tell you the same thing. When they had the near-death experience, they realized that they had the answer to everything in the universe. And when they started to go back into the physical world, it was shut off. Like when a dream, when you when you wake up and you the dream is disappearing quickly. That's what it is. The filter is closing again. The left brain is coming back online and you forget it. But the, all the information is in the field. That's the theory. Everything is in the field. And we have the ability to go in the field and get the answer. It's all in the field. I recently spoke with Ryan Bledsoe, who talked about his father having had two near-death experiences when he was younger, and that there may be a, a big correlation between the events that have happened to them and the experiences to do with his dad having, let's just say, opened that door at one point with, with those experiences. Do you think there's a, a big correlation there? Absolutely, 39, that, that door 30, opening. Yeah, thirty-nine percent of all uh, UFO contactees will claim they had a near-death experience. That is not chance, because the average and uh, the population is five percent. That's eight times the national average. I was just talking to a woman that was dealing with beings, uh, talking to beings, and I was talking to the beings yesterday from London. And she starts telling her story, and guess what? I'm 25 years old, and I had this near-death experience. And they'll remember it like it happened yesterday. There's always, that's part of the contact modality thing, is there's always trauma. So we separate things as good things and bad things. We want the, the, the candy, we want the roses, we want, you know, all the good stuff. And we don't realize it's the, it's the, the experiences that people have that are the trauma events that open the filter. And I give you one, the, the theory, the theory, the evolutionary theory of survival of the fittest didn't come to Darwin. He stole it from another guy who had it. He had a fever. I can't remember what the guy's name was. He had a fever and he came up with this idea of the survival of the fittest. And then Darwin adopted it and he got the credit for it. But you see this over and again, fevers, uh, head injuries, near-death experiences, uh, and, and people will call it the hitchhiker effect. So a lot of, uh, for example, near-death experience, there's a big correlation between that and um, the UFO that in the, the um, UFO experience, 50% of all people after they had a, a, an abduction type experience, will say they got cured, they they were cured, they were healed like Chris Butzo was, or they can cure other people. And I was in I was in Maine with Chris Butzo, and he cured two people when I was there. And I'm telling you, it was dramatic to watch this happen. It was just like unbelievable. And in near death experiences, people who've had near death experiences, seventy percent of them after they've had a near death experience say they can heal people. Ray Hernandez, who ran the Free Foundation, did the three thousand uh, the, the survey of three thousand experiencers. Said, if I had a dollar for everybody who said they did recce healing, I'd be a rich guy. 
is basically you find these parallels that people can suddenly heal in the paranormal phenomena. And that's the filter is getting ripped open by this trauma. And you see this over and again, a lot of mystics, a lot of mediums, a lot of mediums have childhood abuse issues. And that's the thing is they're trying to shut out the world as a child. It's very dramatic. It's sexual abuse or physical abuse or whatever. And suddenly, whoa, they're talking to their dead grandmother. And that's the thing. You've got to shut out the physical world and they're doing it. And, and so you see this correlation. It's the ability to shut out the physical ego mind and tap into the field. And that is done through trauma because the trauma or through dreams where your left brain is quietened down. That's why aliens come to you in the middle of the night or uh, dead people come to you in the middle of the night because that's when your left brain is shut down. It's quiet. And your right brain, your female brain that's in, that contacts with the rest of the universe is active and it can pick up the signal. And um, so that's basically what the contact modality idea about and there's a definite correlation between a, a lot of stuff. I'll give you another correlation, which people don't realize. Very weird correlation. That in in the um, Chris Bledsoe, when I heard he'd flown the ship, I said, okay, Chris, tell me how you fly the ship. And I taped the whole thing. And he told me the same story. Put your hand on this bee, on this beehive thing. And suddenly everything starts to change. And he's, he, whatever he thinks is what the craft does and stuff like that. And um, he told the story. He said, you know, when I went in the craft, it was just like an egg shape. It was just a small object. When I went in the craft, it was huge on the inside. And Terry, Terry Lovelace, if you've ever interviewed him, said the same thing. When he went inside the craft, it was the size of a football stadium inside the inside the this, the craft, and it was just a small craft. When I talked to a guy named Ron Johnson, who was an experiencer, who the being took him into the spirit world. He was with his dead mother in the spirit world, and she takes him to this building. And and she said, Ron, when you die, you're going to have a room in this building. And he said, I went into the building. He said, guess what, Grant? It was like 10, 20 times the size inside as it was outside. I said, hey, that's exactly what Chris Bledsoe said. And that's the thing. You get these correlations between the spirit world and what the experiences are saying. So the question is, is the person being abducted and taken on a ship or are they in this spirit world? Are they in this matrix reality where they're just being popped out that there's it's a it's a it's a an out of body thing rather than a physical thing, and you are in this other matrix reality? That's why we've got all we're making all these false assumptions as to how things happen that this is physical. And we're, we're, when you start looking at it, it's a. I'll, I'll conclude it. It is way more less physical than what you think it is. The UFO phenomenon. It is way more spiritual with that, which is really going to make some people mad. And it's a thousand times more complex than people think it is. That's what I've learned after 46 years of chasing this thing. We're making a lot of assumptions. I mean, one of my downloads, I was actually told. I was said they told me they said you you. You, uh, they called me arrogant and they said, you only think you know what's going on. You have not got a clue. The other thing they said to me, I was walking down the street and I got this real heavy download and they said, not only is what you think wrong, it's exactly the opposite of what you think it is. And that's what you got to remember. Are we just making a bunch of assumptions or what they, one time they told me about the wrong blocks in 1492, we believe the world was flat. We believe the sun went around the earth. We believe we were at the center of the universe. All these things, wrong block, wrong block, wrong block. We're building a house out of a bunch of wrong blocks. And what you got to do is you got to figure out when you have an anomaly, when you have a UFO experience or anomaly, that means you got something wrong. Something that you believe is wrong. And if you figure out the anomaly, you'll have an invention, a patent. You'll suddenly become famous. That's what it means. It means we've got something wrong. We're, we're making assumption that we've got everything figured out. Everything is right. And all we got to do is add that one last block and that will solve it. No, most of the stuff, as they told me, most of what you've got is wrong. And it's exactly the opposite of what you think it is. What I'd like to ask you then before we move on to listener questions, because that's, that's some fascinating insight. 
why do people have these experience or downloads or or awakenings what's the purpose that the non-physical realm is interacting with with us and you know these meat sacks that, that we're in Okay, so the, 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 one of the things that I was told, I was given this download in 2017, it gave me 24 different things. And it said, if the world is made out of nuts and bolts, that's one world with certain rules and regulations. But if the world's made out of consciousness, that's a completely different world with completely different rules. And then the important one that re- relates to your question, they said, if it's one life, that's one world with certain rules and regulations. But if it's multiple lives, it's a whole different world. All the rules change. So when when you when I talk to a, a number of people who do the uh, regression stuff, uh, Mary Rodwell, for example, I asked her and I asked Kathy Martin and people, all these different people. And I said, if you were to regress these people and you were to ask them at any point in the past, did you agree to be in this situation? How many people would say yes? And Mary Rodwell said, eh, like probably everybody. And that's the whole thing. Is this a random event where you just happen to be walking down the street and some alien grabs you and takes you on the ship? Or is this all planned? Is it sole contract? Is this an agreement? Because you have the the idea that they cannot come in. They even told the Canadians, you cannot come in and interfere with somebody's society and 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 do this kind of stuff. But if you have an agreement, if you if you and I were working with the aliens and you said, okay, I'm going to come in at this particular time in this particular place in the middle of this particular mess, and I'm going to try to help straighten this out and work with the aliens to get this thing out. And that's what it comes down to. Is this a random event or did the people agree to this, that they came in to do this kind of stuff? That's the, the, the bottom line. And what they're trying to do, and you'll hear about this star children that they're coming in at this particular time, is this, they're trying to shift it. That we are at this point where we can destroy the world, where the new world is coming and these souls are coming in. That's the theory. These souls are coming in to make the shift, to turn turn the thing to bring in this new thinking. So we are in sort of agreement. And that maybe explain why when I had the experiences, I took a hundred people at least out to this, to see this kind of stuff, why it affected me and it didn't affect everybody else. Everybody, because that was not their contract. They were off doing their own little thing. And to me, it was just like, I mean, just absolutely uh, blew me away. And then all the synchronicity started, all the right people started to appear to me, all the right stuff started to happen. And that's the whole thing. If it's multiple lives, then uh, there's a good chance that this is all soul contract, that people are agreeing to come in to work with the beings. And, uh, and in fact, people will say that, that they are, they'll, they'll, you'll hear this often. Uh, Patty Smith, when I did the, did the, the book, um, Patty Smith is a famous first woman to sing on Saturday Night Live in, 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 in the United States. And she said, I don't believe I'm from here. I, I, I did. I was got dropped. I'm sure I, I don't look like my family. I got dropped. Um, uh, John Denver sold 54 million albums. One of the top singers in the United States believed he was from the Constellation of Lyra. He, he wrote a song. It was called um, uh, Inspired. No, I think Inspired. It was released after he died. But he wrote the song about the Constellation of Lyra. He actually believed he was from the Constellation of Lyra. And that's the whole thing. Are, is this a random event where we just happen to come in and we live one life and you, know, you get lucky or you don't get lucky? Or is this a, an agreement where they're working with us and uh, we're trying to achieve something because you can't come in and interfere unless you're working with them and you've made this agreement to do this. Grant, a lot of amazing discussion there and a whole lot more we could follow up on and I'd love to do that another time. I want to get some listener questions in just uh, to get some of your thoughts on these. Dave would like to know, could you discuss your theory that the others are using appearances like craft and events as a wow factor to get our attention? Yeah, that came to me over the years, and I, I I don't remember it coming as a download, but the more I look at it, the more it appears that that's all they're doing. 
because people say, oh, they're here to eat us. They're here to rape our women. And and when I start looking, I start to realize like, nah, it's like it's like all they want you to do is go, wow, they're trying to get your attention. So that's the, what I mentioned before. Like, why do UFOs have lights on? We don't have lights on our plane. So why would these advanced beings come across the galaxy and have lights? And the lights are always different. They're never the same on, on ships. Uh, and you'll have my, I had two experiences where the ship was completely different. It started as one thing and it appeared as something else when the sighting was over. And, and, and the thing is the, the idea of, of, wow, they just want you to go, wow, I talk about cattle relations. Why the, the idea that they're downwind and downstream from nuclear power activities, which would indicate that they're trying to tell you something's wrong here. Why do they do this bizarre thing where they take the cow and they got it in the ship and they fly off of the thing? Well, okay, now you got the cow and you mutilate the cow or whatever you do. And then they come back into the war zone and drop the cow in the middle of the front lawn from 100 feet up in front, in, into the farmer's yard. Why do they take a heart out of a cow without an incision? Like, what, what's that about? Like, what do you need that? That doesn't make any sense. You'd take the cow. Why do they take all the blood? I used to say this to, to Linda Howe and other researchers. Like, why do they take all the blood? Every last drop of blood out of the cow. Because they want it to be really weird. They want you to go, what is going on here? Why do they do these bizarre cuts and, and make it very public? Because they want you to go take photographs. They want you to go, what is going on here? Why did they leave crop circles? Why don't they just land and tell us what's going on? They do the crop circles because everybody goes, I don't know if that was hoaxed or real, but my God, how do they do that? It is the way, and they get your attention. That's what they're doing. They're getting our attention all the time. And and you start looking at, at, at the beings. I even do the thing with the beings where I say, people will say, oh, you know, oh, they're here to rape us or whatever. And I always say, when I see someone, a, a being on the craft, I say to the person, hey, so you had the being? Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you, do you have any clothes on? They go, no, you don't have any clothes on. I go, don't you think that's kind of weird? Do you have any clothes on? No, no. Well, and do you have any sex organs? They say they're raping our women. Do they have any sex organs? Never had anybody say that. No, no, they have no sex organs. They have a belly button. No, they have nipples. No, they have a mouth. Not really. I had a sort of a slit, but it wasn't a mouth. They have a nose. No, just two holes. They wouldn't have a nose. They have ears. No, no, they have ears. And you start wondering, like, and then I'd say to them, like, hey, did the being ever get any older? You saw it when you were 1946, when you were six years old, and now you're like 80 years old. Did the being ever get any older? And they always say, they go, no, but aliens live a long time. They try to justify it. And you start looking at it and you go like, wow, this is maybe not what we think it is, that they're just doing this show. Why did they do apportations and manifestations where they make stuff appear? They make stuff disappear. They have shadow people. They're, they're, they're trying to get your attention. They're trying to get everybody to go, what is going? That's my thing. What happened to me in, in the second sighting? I've gone. What is going on here? And I, it, they got your curiosity. It's like it, the, the prime example is Jesus. If they'd had if Jesus had not walked on water, fed 5,000 people and healed people, you never would have heard of the guy. Travis Walton was abducted for five days. If Travis Walton hadn't been abducted for five days, you never would have heard of Travis Walton because his experience was really nothing. He didn't really remember anything on this thing. The feast famous because of the five days. So I say when it comes to Travis Walton, I said the aliens say, hey, let's take a guy for five days. That'll really get their attention. And they actually took a bull from Skinwalker Ranch for 10 days. And the bull disappeared for 10 days and it reappeared on the edge of this muddy field and there was no footprints in the field. That's the kind of stuff they're doing. They're doing this really weird stuff because they're trying to stop you. Shut down your, your ego mind, sit there and realize like something's going on and everybody's trying to figure it out. They want us to figure it out because if they come and tell us, everybody's going to say, get out of here, point a gun at them and try to shoot them. They, they want us to figure it out because then we will come to the conclusion ourselves. That's how it works. Casey would like to you to talk about the Mount Shasta portal and that you've interviewed aliens. Um, 
Okay. Um, the Mount Shasta thing, that's kind of a, a story. I've written two books about it. One was called Portals and UFOs at Mount Shasta. And the other, I can't remember the name of the book. But I was there twice. Uh, I was one of these events, again, that I, I really didn't want to be there. Um, all my events are these synchronistic events where I was wanted my, I had a woman that was helping me edit books and she lived, she was a, in California. She said, why don't you come and meditate on Mount Shasta for world peace? And I go, well, you know, Cadogan and against meditation or world peace, but I don't really want to travel three days to go sit on the side of a mountain and meditate for world peace, but she'd help me. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go. And when I'm going there, we're going across the desert and in Nevada heading for a night in Reno and uh, the phone rings, and my assistant is with me, and uh, suddenly it's this Katerina, and she says, oh, I got a message from Matt Terrell. I said, Matt? Because I got one from Chris Bledsoe, which turned in the music book, where Chris Bledsoe said, oh, I've got a message from the Guardians, and the Guardians want you to know the messages in the music. And I go, well, I've never been in music, Chris. I don't, couldn't care less. And I got dragged into that story. So when I got the second one, it says, Antorell knows you're coming to the mountain and he wants you to, to put on Facebook. He wants you to make this public. You're coming to the mountain. He knows you're coming. Then I go, okay, get the message. Exactly what is he saying? Because we got to get this right because it's going to be a lot of controversy. Exactly what is Antorell saying to me? And that's when I had known already that they had opened these, the, what they called Zendras. So this is what a group called Mission Rama that does a lot of this stuff. And a number of times, what they call Zendras, which we would call portals, open up. And these are ground things where this sort of bluish white fog starts coming off the ground. And, and uh, it's sort of like an interdimensional bubble. And people go into this thing and seven at a time. And I've talked to a lot of people who have been in these Zendras. In fact, this 2021 was the most dramatic. There was uh, a couple hundred beings. There was nine people in this Zendra. They were levitated into the air. And I know they were in a Zendra because they said the weirdest thing. They didn't even know they were in a Zendra. They said the weirdest thing was when we were talking, we started to ohm because we were really scared. We started to ohm. It sounded like we were underwater. And that's a classic being in a Zendra. So you have these experiences where it's like an interdimensional bubble where uh, the, the people will do meditation and oming and stuff like that. You're trying to raise their vibration. Then the beings lower their vibration a bit and they open up this it's sort of an interdimensional portal and they can interact in this portal. So there's one in 2014, one in 2015. So when I went there, when I heard that Antarell knew I was coming and Antarell was in this portal. So I said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, they're going to open a Zendra and I'm going to talk to an alien or whatever. And that didn't happen, but they make these predictions where they have what are called antennas. People, they get two people who have a message and it has to agree. The message has to agree. The message they got was that the event on mine was going to happen at, and Antarell had said there was going to be a program sighting, what they, what means it's going to tell you when it's going to happen exactly to the minute and where it's going to happen. So the two antennas had gotten the message 933, 933. And that's exactly when I'm sitting in this circle and suddenly this flashing thing starts over my head. Now it wasn't a, a, um, a portal type thing, but I had interviewed the people when I was there. I interviewed the people who were in the, were in this Zendra. And these are Latino people who, you know, don't really speak English very well, who really started to run when they saw me coming with a camera. They didn't want to be on camera. They didn't want to tell their story. Uh, they're very humble people. And they all told me the story. Yeah, this alien was standing there. He was like 10 feet tall and, he, you know, like a bicycle suit on and these sparks are coming off his chest. And I go, next person, tell you the same story. And and so I got fascinated with this idea about this, this interdimensional bubble. And that comes to the idea, how are they getting here? Kit Green from the CIA, who used to run the weird desk at the CIA, actually had a conversation with, with um, um, Jim Penniston from 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 Forest. And Jim was saying to him, I need to know what's going on here. What are you doing? Why are you looking at these experiences? And so Kit Green says, well, it's kind of do with propulsion. He said, come on, propulsion, I'm not stupid. Like, come on, it's not propulsion. Well, yeah, it's maybe the wrong word. We're trying to figure out how does the phenomena pop in 
and pop out just as quickly. That's Portal. That's Zendra. That's what's happening. They're coming in. They're popping in. They're taking on a physical body, whatever, and then they pop back out again. They go back to where they came from. They become etheric beings again. So I became fascinated with this story, and a lot of people get mad because they say, oh, you know, it's not a circus. Quit making uh, – because a lot of people, they go to Shasta, and they think, oh, they're going to see an alien, and they don't see an alien. You're just hyping it all up and stuff like that. And I say, yeah, it is a circus. That's what it is. It's a theory. Wow. They're starting a circus. They want people to realize, oh, man, this stuff's going on at Skinwalker, uh, Skinwalker Ranch and at Shasta. And everybody starts to pay attention. What's going on here? And, and they want to see new stories and they're open to new stories. That's what it is. It's that you do the circus first. You do the weird stuff first. Then you deliver the message. If you try to deliver the message before you conduct the circus, nobody's going to listen. So that's what I think this is all about. They want these dramatic events. And I knew the 2021 was coming. I didn't believe it was actually going to happen. But the 2021, it's like they, I mean, I said, just do this one on steroids. Like a couple of hundred beings in this thing. And they were all etheric energy type beings. And the guy said there was as many beings in this thing as there was trees in the forest. And that they were levitated, just a bizarre story. So when I tell the story, everybody goes, oh, oh, tell me more. What's going on here? And that's what they got. They got everybody's attention. And they're doing this circus thing. And the message they gave, they, they have actually a message in this 2020. It's the same message all the time. It's the oneness message. You've got to realize you are all part of one thing. You've got to stop the separation. We are all one. We are all connected. That's the message. So that message did come. And I'm the only person that put the message out. And people will listen to it because they want to see the story. They want to hear about what happened in the Zendra in 2020. And then I say, that's what happened. Here's the message. And then people will read it. If I show you the message before you hear the story, nobody's going to read the message. I think that follows on nicely to the next listener question from Ryan. Now, Ryan was watching one of your streams last year and he said that you you were quoted as saying, it seems like in 2017 something happened and it's like they have to get this information out now, but not to scare the public. And he would like you to expand on that a little bit. Well, I, I guess he's referring to the government that I, I've always believed. I wrote my first book about this because we chased this Dr. Eric Walker. And um, Walker was talking to us. And then when we put the book out and all we did in the book was put out the full transcripts of what he had said, he still kept talking. And so I always had this belief that the government, there's people in the government who are sympathetic to the UFO issue that want the thing out. Or now you have this thing with the, the, the report. So people for different reasons will want the UFO story out. So people who've had experiences like a lot of the big people that you see uh, are experiencers uh, like Kit Green, not Kit Green. Um, Jim Semivan, who was the co-director of uh, To the Stars, he's an experience. He had the beings in his room. Uh, all, a lot of these people are, uh, you know, dr- dramatic experiencers. Uh, Gary Nolan, who does the DNA stuff, he's an experiencer since he was a child. So those people will be trying to get the story out. They will, you know, be talking. And then you have this thing where now they're going to put out this report from the intelligence people. Now they're going to use it for the war. Now we got out of the war in Afghanistan and all those people are going to end up being killed. The the people that defended the Americans and, and, you know, work for the Americans, they're all dead in the water now. Uh, But we're finished that war, but now we're, we've got some more enemies. Now it's like, Oh, this is a threat. There's a potential threat. We've got to look at this. We've got to do this report. And it's like, we're going to do the same thing again. We're going to, now we're going to try to take on the aliens. We're going to start a new threat that these guys are a threat to us or whatever. And uh, so that's what, you, so those people are going to push it in terms of the, the threat narrative, the, the military industrial complex. Like I made a joke on, on Facebook a couple of weeks back. I, Lou Alexander had said, uh, one-star general, what's the number one thing he thinks about? Being a two-star general. 
So I said, well, what about military industrial complex? What do they think about? Well, they think about more war, more weapons, and that's what they're trying to do with this thing. They're going to have come out with a threat thing. There's a potential threat. We need to spend billions of dollars on this and get ready. If you think that you're going to take on etheric beings that can come in and take on bodies and create crafts and go back in there and that this is some sort of physical thing, get ready because they are going to cut off the family jewels and send you packing. People have no idea the power they're up against. And I describe an experience that happened in Cuba. It's in the Stanton Friedman files. When I went to do the Stanton Friedman files, I knew this was in there and I found it. And this is a story about a, a scramble, a, a UFO coming into Cuba in 1967. The Stan got involved with the National Enquirer, a bunch of people, U.S. Navy intelligence had picked up this communication where they decided they were going to shoot down this UFO. And the, the wingman in behind, the front guy locks on and they say, take it out, take it out. And then the U.S. intelligence listened to this and they said, it's gone, it's gone. The wingman's yelling, it's gone, he's, he's vaporized, the plane's gone. It's just poof like that. And that's what I warn people. If you think you're going to take on this intelligence, get ready. Make sure your will is, is, is done. Make sure your life insurance is paid up because a lot of people are going to die. This phenomena has all the power. It has all the stuff. We have this thing where well, it's our airspace. Nobody owns the airspace. Nobody owns the airspace. We are just here as visitors. If anybody owns the airspace, they were here first. This is our airspace. This is their airspace. And we need to play well in their airspace or they're going to kick us out of their airspace. And you see all these encounters with the U.S. military now with military naval uh, operations and stuff. And you can see the, the intelligence is playing this up. This means something. They are, they are prodding, they are poking, and they are basically saying, we've had enough of the war, we've had enough of the weapons, we've had enough of the $736 billion defense budget. It's time to stop. It's, the message is oneness. We are all one on this planet. We are all a cell in the body. We have to realize we've got to quit being an individual's cancer cell that decides we're going to rape, pillage, kill, and steal. We're all the same thing. And unless we get the idea that we are all together and we are all in this thing together, we are not going to survive. That is the message they want out. Final listener question from Robert is, can you ask Grant about the connection between Obama, the UFO, UAP issue and disclosure? What was Obama's involvement? Well, Obama, I think it was more Hillary Clinton, but people don't like to talk. I wrote a book on Hillary Clinton. I think a lot of it was Hillary. And um, I was told when I lectured in Arkansas that Bill and Hillary Clinton had had a sighting. Or somebody very close to them at this barbecue restaurant they used to hang out at, at a sighting. So Bill and Hillary were very interested in the UFO phenomena. And um, so they were working on this and they were trying to move this. And I say that whole disclosure initiative that came with Podesta, with uh, Tom DeLong, that was all arranged by John Podesta and Hillary Clinton. So Obama came in, but Obama was very interested. I don't know if he's ever had a sighting, but Obama did go after the um, the information. He did say this very clearly that he uh, he said at the beginning, he said, I'm really not interested in where they may be coming. I have no objection. There may be aliens coming, but I'm more interested in the people who are starving. I'm, that's not my job to figure this thing out. But he was very interested. And he actually says to James Fox, I went for the information and I was able to find it. But then he decides that he's going to keep it secret, that he says, I can't, I can't talk. The aliens told us they, we couldn't talk, whatever. What the secret is, I think, is not what people think it is. The idea is, you know, well, uh, you know, we, we've got this technology and, and we're the, we've, we've got to develop this technology. I, I think what, the, what the, the thing is, is that they really don't know. So when you hear the, the, the briefing that was done of Obama, you hear, not Obama, Trump, you hear this story that the U.S. Navy went in there and showed him the photographs from the Nimitz and stuff. And Trump looked at the photographs and you hear Trump. Like Trump would not make something up. He would just talks off the top of his head. He says, you know, they showed me the videos and they were pretty cool videos, you know, but yeah, I don't believe it. So what they said to him was, here's these videos. Here's these objects. 
and we have no control over them. We have no idea what they are. We know for a fact, Mr. President, that these things are unidentified, but we really don't know what's going on. That's the secret. They really don't have any control. So if you're the president of the United States and you're the guy, the most powerful guy in the world, and you know everything, are you going to put the president up on a on a platform where he's going to have to say, yeah, we have no control over these things. They fly around, they can do whatever they want. That's what I think they're trying to cover up. The fact that they really don't have the understanding and the understanding of what this is. That's why I, I was involved in the, the Wilson leak document. And you see the Wilson leak document where um, at the end of the document, people say, oh, they made it up because they say at the end of the document, they say there's no abductions. And they say, we have this craft that we think can fly, but, but uh, we can't fly it. And, and they say, well, that's disinformation. They do have a craft. That's the story. They have a craft and they can't fly it. Why can they not fly it? Because it needs a consciousness interface to it. It's like your cell phone with the, with your fingerprint. They haven't got a consciousness. They can't turn the thing on. It's flown by consciousness. And that's the kind of stuff they don't want you to know, that they've got an intact craft and they can't make it go. It's all got to do with consciousness. It's all got to do with portals. It's them popping in, they're popping out. It's not as physical as people think. People think it's like, oh, it's anti-gravity. We're going to grab the little engine out of there. We're going to execute the aliens or put them in, in uh, cages with the kids on the border and stuff like that. And we're, we're just going to get this engine and we're going to make money and we're going to have, you know, free energy and stuff like that. And it's no, the, the technology is not what it, the technology is way beyond this. The anti-gravity stuff. I don't think that stuff, uh, Ron Pendolfi, who's the, the big guy who was made out the keys to the intelligence and the, the classification for this stuff said it's the techno scam. All the stuff that these guys are doing, all this, you know, uh, threat thing and uh, we're going to develop a flying saucer and stuff. He says it's a techno scam. He said it's just a bunch of people, used to be a bunch of billionaires they went after who didn't want to pay their taxes and now they're going after the government for money. They're, they're trying to propose, we've got this threat all here and we need this money. Give us suitcases. We've got these suitcases. Fill our suitcases full of money. And, and the basic bottom line to this thing is it's portal it's consciousness technology the whole idea you're going to fire a flying flying saucer or that a piece of metal the ufo comes across the galaxy and then what little pieces start falling off the, the flying saucer that again is theory of wow they're not pieces falling off the flying saucer they're dropping this stuff on purpose they want you to look and say oh man look at the isotopes man the isotopes are just really weird on this thing this has got to be from someplace else that's what they're trying to tell you hey something's going on here pay attention and, and so we, we think, oh, I've got this piece of metal. We're going to build a flying saucer. Give your head a shake. You're not going to build a flying saucer. We have no clue. This thing's way beyond what we've got. And the, the aliens are upping the ante. They're becoming more and more visible. And they're become visible to the military, which should give us a hint that they've had enough with, with this war thing and this idea that's me versus you, good versus bad. Uh, we're the good guys. We're going to kill all the bad guys. And we're just going to start another war. The, the, the beings are trying to get across this message, and the message is absolutely oneness. That's the bottom line message to this whole story. That's what it's about. That was the answer I got after I spent 46 years. I'm absolutely certain that's the message. Just before I let you go, Grant, I always like to finish the interviews with a bit of a quick fire round on a few subjects that we've not managed to talk about. I'm just going to say a few names or topics, and you can say as little or as much on each as you like. The first one is the potentially upcoming UAP task force report. It, it's going to be exactly what I said. It's going to be a threat thing. This is a potential threat. Um, and the answer to that is, if you're the military industrial complex, what is there in the world that isn't a potential threat? Their potential threats would be three volumes long. You don't make any money unless you've got a threat. 
everything's going to be a threat. So they're going to say, oh, we've got this mystery. These things are interacting with our military. Uh, this is terrible. We need to do do something. We, we're finished with the war, war in Afghanistan. We need another war. We're going to, we need a justification for war. We need to figure this out. We're going to take on these aliens and everybody's going to fall for it. And they're going to give them a bunch of money. You scare the living daylights out of the senators and you say, oh, yeah, unless you do this, we're going to get eaten. You better do this. It may be a threat. It may be this. That's all they're going to do. They're, they're trying to raise money. They're trying to run what Ron Pendolfi calls a techno scam. They're scamming people for money, people who are too stupid to figure out what's going on. That's what this is all about. They're, 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 the, the operation came. That's where Tom DeLong said, oh, this is a hive mentality. Uh, you know, they have this oneness idea, the hive mentality, and they may not have souls. That's what it's all about. It's this thing, or Lou Elizondo says, you know, oh, there's footprints in the, in the, in the, in the living room going there or if they take my daughters well then that's a threat and uh if they, if they touch my daughters that's uh um um you know uh, kidnapping and, and assault well if, if they if the military industrial complex drops an atomic bomb on your daughter do you think the military industrial complex it would might be a threat the military industrial complex is the threat it's like the the whole cartoon that used to the the, the pogo cartoon we have met the enemy and he is us that's what this is all about we're the crazy people. We're the ones that want to start another war. We want, and that's the biggest industry in the United States is the military. So you're not going to say, "Oh, this is not a threat. This is a, this is a, you know, they're here to save us. They're here to give us messages to stop the war." That doesn't get you. Anywhere. Your budget is gone. You have to create a threat. You have to, in order to get funding, the military-industrial complex will always create a threat. That's what this is all about. The next one is Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar, I just on my podcast, uh, uh, Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast, I, I just finished a three-part series. My impression, um, and I was there when it happened. I was investigating in 1989. We were in contact with uh, John Lear and and Huff and Bob Laz- and George Knapp and all these people, whatever. And um, uh, George Knapp said he actually bought a copy, a bunch of copies of my book. Said mine was the most accurate version of what he think might 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 be going on and what i say is that bob lazar didn't have the degrees he didn't have all this kind of stuff he was a wild man and if you want to leak the story you do not give it to some guy who's won a nobel prize you give it to some guy who's got a bad background who's working with uh hookers and uh, you put you put it through him and uh, the story originally went to john lear and john lear is a very very interesting guy but nobody believed 90 percent of what john lear said so what you do is you put you take bob lazar you put him on the base you let him see all this stuff on the base and then you know because in his in his interview his interview to get on the base and he got on the base right away no top security clearance he was on the base like within weeks which doesn't happen and so they what, what they realized he was going to do is take it back to john lear and that's exactly what he did and december the 6th 1989 the first day he was there he went back to john lear john i was there and and it's for real and john says get out of here like what are you doing here like go for six months what are you they're gonna be watching you what and that's what they did so john lear had the story for six months nobody paid any attention to it because it was john lear telling the story and then suddenly he gets. He got felt threatened. He went on to the uh, uh, George Knapp show because uh, George Knapp had a guest that hadn't appeared. He went on there, and that's when the story went viral. Suddenly, it was award-winning Emmy award-winning uh, reporter, investigative reporter George Knapp doing the story, and suddenly the, this became the most famous word in the world, and it is one of the most famous words in the world. Area Fifty One. Anybody, everybody knows what Area Fifty One is, and and the story got out of control. But the thing was that it's still plausible deniability. That's how they leak the story. They're not going to leak it. If they want to tell you what the story is, they stand the president up, they stand the head of the CIA up, and they tell you what's going on. If they sort of want the story out with plausible deniability where they can always control it, 
they're going to put it through a guy like John George, uh, like uh, Bob Lazar. So Bob Lazar, I believe, did see the things that he saw. He brought it out. Now, what he, whether they set up stuff for him to see, they wanted him to tell the story. So they wanted people to know they were building stuff at Area 51. They wanted to acclimatize people, but they wanted the thing to be plausible deniability. And it's still plausible deniability because half the people still don't believe it. They say, oh, no, no, you made the whole story up. That's what they want. They want the story sort of out, but not out. They want you to always be able to put it because once you spill the milk, you can't put the milk back in the jar. Do you prefer the term UFO or UAP? Uh, I prefer the word flying saucer because what this is, is basically... Uh, the military always twisting it. If you look back at the Canadian research done by Wilbur Smith, Wilbur Smith never used the word UFO. The word UFO was created in 1952 by the U.S. Air Force. And what it is is to change the subject. So instead of calling them flying saucers, they say, oh, it's a flying saucer, that means it's from another planet, you say it's UFO. So it can be anything. And that's what they've done again. That was a term that the UAP term was used in Great Britain. It was brought in by Pope. And that's when they changed it again. It's to change the, the idea. And it's like, I mean, are we stupid? Like, oh, oh, it's not a UFO. It's a UAP. Okay. I can study it. I mean, I, I'm not threatened by it. It's the same thing. I mean, if you're a, a guy in the, in, in university, it, you're not going to fool anybody by changing the term. And what they want to do is they want to make it a little bit farther away, a little bit more unknown. So instead of calling it flying saucers or flying discs, he changed it to UFOs in 1952. And Wilbur Smith never used the term. He always called them flying saucers because he wasn't stupid. He was there. He knew why they changed the term. And they've done it again. They just changed the term. And then it's it's easier to talk about. Everybody can, can uh, talk about it and not be threatened by it. But if you call it a flying saucer, well, then you're a looney tune. And finally, Grant, what does disclosure mean to you? Um, not what it means to everybody else. Um, disclosure is going to be on, on, a, on a personal thing. Everybody thinks that there's going to be a time, and I mentioned this with the 19, 2017 thing, that everybody thinks, oh, the government's going to say, oh, there's a UFO program, and that's going to be disclosure, and everybody's going to accept it. It's, it's not going to happen. There's not going to be anything like that because um, people um, – People have to have it on a personal level. People will always uh, sort of fight back. Um, the government doesn't know, so they can't really disclose. Um, I'm not sure they're going to disclose. Well, they may disclose that they, they really don't have any control over this thing to raise money. But disclosure is is a personal thing. Everybody seems to indicate that, that um, um, something will change. I was actually told in a download experience where the conversation came, and I'm talking to, I won't say what I was talking to, but I had this sort of direct contact, and the subject of disclosure came up. And I've always said to people, like, what are you going to do if suddenly they disclose? And, like, what's going to happen? Like, they're all going to, everybody's going to go to work. Nothing's going to change. And that's what they what I was told, is that when there's disclosure, what, everybody's, was everybody going to go back to church? It's like when they disclose, like, what do you do? It, it has nothing to do with anything. It is still a personal thing. Who cares if the government knows? So what the, what does it change if the government knows what's going on? It is what is what does it mean to you and I? Because, you know, it even if, you know, did your friends believe more trying to always trying to convince our friends or convince the government or whatever. We think that this is important, but everybody else thinks it really isn't important. And we already already know that the government probably knows a lot of what's going on. But it really doesn't change anything. It's not like your life's going to change if suddenly the government 
decides that they're going to say this kind of stuff because in the end you still got to figure out for yourself what is this about how does it work and this uh, ultimate message of oneness and why they're actually here which is where no government person is really going to want to go they're going to play the threat thing they're going to play the me versus you because that's what governments is about it's about nationality it's about uh you know uh, america first and all this kind of stuff and uh, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who knows or what knows it's what am i doing with what i've got with why am i here i came into the world if reincarnation is a fact you and i came into the world and we probably came in to do something all we have to do is figure out what did we come in to do and are we doing it what the government does what everybody else is thinking it is totally irrelevant we only have to figure out what are we here to do and are we doing it? Because in the end, if you've, I've done a lot of research on Mike, Dr. Michael Newton, the life between life stuff. According to the, my understanding, when you leave the world, they only ask you one question. How did it work out? Because you and I put the players on the stage. You and I arranged it. You can't blame Hillary Clinton and the emails, the mother-in-law, the dog ate my homework. They're going to cut you off and say, this is about you. What did you do? You went into the world to do something. You set up the play. Did you get done what you wanted to do? It's irrelevant what anybody else thinks or does. Grant, how can listeners follow you and your work and get in touch with you? Um, I don't have a website anymore. I shut that down. Um, I have a YouTube channel, which is White House UFO YouTube. I have the podcast, which is Paranormal UFO uh, Consciousness Podcast, where I have a couple of big guests coming up. And uh, my Facebook site, where I put my daily stuff on there, is uh, presidential ufo there's a number of grant cameron sites but presidential ufo is the one you're looking for and my twitter is grant cameron at twitter that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access the shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditative game of fateful on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz.
15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah, yeah wait, here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Hello, Discover here to explain our cash back match. Here's how it works. We give you cash back for using your Discover card on the things you were going to buy anyway. Then we match that cash back in your first year. And that's why we call it cash back match. Now to recap and say cash back one more time. We match all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply.